are back with a weekly patch. It is week 14 and I am back and bullshit blazing. I'm going to tell you what that means later. My name is Jordan and this is the weekly patch, the podcast dedicated to making the games industry better one patch at a time. I am your host this week. It's great. I was gone for a little bit, but I'm back. Am I happy? I'm okay. But I'm happy to be back. We missed you. I'll take that. Yeah, it's a good spin on it, wasn't it? And I am glad to introduce my fellow host, the Tiger, Zyger. Oh, that's me. I got my second vaccine shot yesterday. I'm feeling froggy. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no one will get that but yeah, us. The one person that will let you know if it's Halloween yet, Spencer. It is not. It's 107. No, hold on. I can do math. 165 days until Halloween. No, wait. Do it for Wednesday, not today. Boom! I can't do it for Wednesday, not today. How many? Yeah. You gave us Wednesday. You gave us today. So, like, any of us could do Wednesday right now if we wanted to, but I can't. I'm a game. You know what? It just lit up. What? 63, 162. And I didn't have to use anything with my fingers. That's what she said. And the bingo bongo herself, Kaylee... (laughs) Did you read that off your post-it note, or did you actually remember? I remembered, and then I looked at my post-it note. I believe you. I believe that. I want you to just, like, check it off. You can't throw it away. You have to keep it and mail it to me. I'll put it in our scrapbook, our weekly patch scrapbook. And on episode 100, when we have a live show, because we have a dedicated audience that will pay to see us, we will raffle off that post-it. I'm going to put my initials, and I'm going to write today's date. (gasps) Yes. I was, that is so smart. And then press it in a Bible like a Victorian spinster does with flowers. There's a Bible somewhere in this apartment with one of my uh, braids as a baby because that was a thing that families did. Go uh, figure. My family kept, like, teeth. I find that weird. My mom showed me my sibling's baby teeth. She's like, yeah, you know, you keep a couple when you do the tooth fairy shit. I'm like, why? Why do you need those? Why do you need baby teeth in a little box? That's creepy. Starting this podcast, full serial killer. I have Mamaru's teeth for when he was a puppy. That is the serial killer thing, Spencer. What are you going to do with them? What are you going to do with them? Keep them? You're going to make a little necklace and then have him wear it and then call him little Mad Max? Clone him? Clone him? Is there DNA maybe deep down in there? Yeah, it's a tooth. It's a bone. Yeah, but... Is there DNA in bones? I thought the DNA would be in the fleshy stuff that sticks to the bones. Oh, fleshy stuff made it sound gross. Like the bone marrow? Like when you do a DNA test, I don't think you can do it on bone. I think you can do it on like bone marrow. Do bones have DNA? Email us at hello at theweeklypatch.com. Let us know I'm pretty sure teeth are just calcium. I'm pretty sure bones are just calcium. No, teeth. Not oh wait, bone is one of the best sources of DNA from decomposed human remains. But you are right, teeth aren't bones, are they? Are they? Are yeah, teeth are bones. So does bone have DNA? The answer is yes. They're one of the best sources of DNA. Turns out, just kid doesn't know about forensic science. Because when you look at when you look at a skeleton, you still see their teeth. Oh, you don't care. Yeah. I thought maybe they were. I don't even want to say what I thought. No, no judgments here. Boom, bitch. Teeth and bones look similar and share some commonalities, including being the hardest substance in your body. But teeth aren't actually bones. You you really have about that, huh? <laughs> really the, a, a lot of this would have been cut, and now it's not going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Just like we do every week. Oh, I We're guess gonna... it's because like teeth can't heal, but bones can. That's the uh... way that like it's more obvious that teeth aren't bones. The other difference is that, that when really I sleep sense, at night. Actually, when you say that. Yeah. When I sleep at night, I don't dream about me spitting out bones. I spit out teeth when I dream. Yeah, I have never dreamed of spitting out bones, but I dream about my teeth falling out all the time. It happened to me once as a kid and never again because I hated that memory. Oh, it's very, it's very regular for me. It's just, it's I'm just like, I just like, ow! And then I spit and then there's a tooth and I just like, wait a minute. And I'm just spitting more teeth uh -huh. over and over and over uh -huh. again. It's and like a horror And then the whole story. rest of the next day, your teeth feel loose. Yes. I'll like, I'll eat mashed potatoes. I'll be so nervous. No potato chips for Kaylee after a night like that. You kidding me? And if that didn't scare you, these first couple of stories in the scrum will, because every week with the weekly patch, we start with the news of the week, which we call the scrum. Private scrum. We're telling you. The scrum. So is that the new scrum song? Uh, that was a pretty good scrum uh, song, but I like it. It was really good. I think I'm gonna have to like do like a remix between the two because I love the OG, but. Uh, that was that was very good. I'm very happy. It reminded me of reading Rainbow. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll let it. Like the same vibes. Take a look. It's in a book. The games industry collectively taught us that all we want to do is get a scare or two from a giant woman. When Resident Evil Village passed three million sales this week, shoutouts to Capcom getting some successes. Cause ooh, for a while hey, they were looking it. bad. And Monsanto World came through, and then up, 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 and then Devil May Cry, and up, 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 and Resident Evil, up, 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 and maybe I'll get a good fighting game one year. <laughs> no, I'm dreaming. That'll never happen. <laughs> I have a conspiracy theory that Resident Evil is finding the renewed success that it is 100% because of how badly people wanted PT. And everyone who was a Resident Evil fan is still a Resident Evil fan, and they're getting fucking fed. And then everyone who was a... Uh, Silent Hill fan, any other J-horror that hasn't had a release since the Wii fucking you. Everybody was like, you know what? We're all going all in on Resident Evil. Apparently we can't have more than one scary game come out. So it's, it's just triple A scary. Resident Evil now. And they were smart. They took out the zombies and boom. Now you're like every other game not relying on zombies that all the people can come through. I'm so glad they took out zombies. I'm I'm glad they recognize. I'm just glad they recognize that like we're done. They're not the zombies aren't the main focus anymore. Yeah, because the mold is is zombie esque. It's it, but Last of Us mold zombies are cool still. The only cool zombies are fungal based now. Yeah, take that day's gone. Take that day's gone. <laughs> <laughs> In a rare Ubisoft block for this podcast, during an earnings call this week, Ubisoft delayed a game that was never going to come out in the first place, Skull and Bones. A game that's been perpetually delayed for four consecutive years. I this thought game? Skull and Bones was Sea of Thieves until I was presented with this article saying Skull and Bones was delayed. Skull and Bones was announced near the beginning of this past console generation, and every time it gets brought back up into the news... Everyone's first uh, like gut reaction is, oh, I forgot that game existed. Every single time. What is this? What is this game? You think you're going to get a meaty meal, but you're just getting the skull and bones. Uh, this game is being developed by Ubisoft Singapore, which I did a little check on their history, and they've mostly developed Assassin's Creed games, most notably Assassin's Creed Black Flag, uh, Assassin's Creed Unity, and Rogue. So they've done other stuff. They've 
focus on the naval combat that's in those games and again in uh, Origins and Odyssey. So they have a history with working on boat combat types games, but it's struggling to, or not struggling, it's weird to see them delay this game again after being this like ghost IP for the past four or five years. Yeah, I think when you're a studio that's primary existence has been support for other studios, it's probably more difficult to start and finish a project and stick to a production plan that makes sense um, for yourself as opposed to like a combined production plan for several studios together. That's my assumption, I, but I don't. I, it'll, but also games are just hard, so who knows? Games are hard. In that same financial call, uh, Ubisoft announced that they are going to step away from the three to four AAA games a year model and the AAA games that they do come out with are going to focus on a games-as-service model instead as opposed to, to kind of, like, reach the standard that they want to when it comes to the uh, financial gain for their games. Do you think they were excited that they had announced that division game, free-to-play game, and everybody was like, I don't want a division free-to-play game, and then, like, two days later, they were like, we're gonna do games and services. <laughs> this is, uh, Are there people yeah. that get excited when they hear we're doing a game as service? Is there a single human being left that doesn't, that that is in the market for a game as service that doesn't already have one? I just don't get it. So... Yes and no. The problem is that they call it a games as a service, and no one wants to hear those words. No one wants to hear that. We all expect a season pass for games, which is just that. And, you know, we're going to be supporting our games for long periods of time and blah, blah, blah. Those are the words they use to, you know, trick people into thinking that it's not a games as a service that they all accept. But saying games as a service just doesn't sound good. No one wants to hear it. No. Also, weren't they just, like super bullish during the like vivendi takeover like trying to like ward that off that they were like yeah we've got all these like first party title like first like player like single player single player titles that we want to play and like that's our strength that's it like i don't know assassin's creed's like 200 hours anymore like assassin's creed is the first game i've ever played where i was just like oh this is too long yeah, I love I don't like it when a game is under 75 hours personally I expect going in a game to be 100 hours because I grew up only playing like JRPGs and shit you know like I feel it took me a long time not to because I shouldn't say that anymore I definitely have full experiences where I don't but I like I used to feel cheated if a game was that short like a, a game under 20 hours did not make sense to me to pay money for I was like why that's like that's five seconds what the fuck because I was so used to you know, a hundred hours is what it takes to tell a story. We're JRPGs. So, like, going into Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I was having a great time. I was, like, 60 hours in, and the map, like, zoomed out one more time and was like, oh, all the progress that you've made clearing out the map, it was actually, like, this little bit of progress you've made. You still have all of this left. Have fun sailing across this whole sea. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll sail across the sea to go do this shit, but this map is a little, like, unapproachably large, if I'm being honest with you. And then I'm not going to lie, I had to sail across the sea. And no matter what I did, 
no matter how I upgraded, no matter how I fought or evaded, no matter what I tried to do, there would ships that would just surround me on every side and I would just get sunk. I fucking hated the naval combat. If it was me versus one other ship, it was fun and exciting and I could do it. But as soon as there were two or three, like the second you're outnumbered, my ship was not a very low level either. And I just, I could not find a way to take on three ships at once and not die. And they would be little and faster than me. And I just kept getting murdered. And so I quit. I played like 60 something hours of that game. And I barely got into the story because once I had to cross the sea, I physically fucking couldn't. And I pulled over the map and looked how long it would take to walk there instead and thought about doing it. But because I was in the middle of the sea, I couldn't like fast travel away and I'd have to go back in my save a really long time and I said I'm not playing this anymore. I haven't played it since. Broken Heart because I actually was really getting into the stuff. I was going through and I was clearing out whole little towns silently slipping into the woods. I felt like a genius. It was so fun and cool. It was just too fucking long. I always and thought boats and pirates were boring so I didn't play it. I liked the pirates. That's the thing is I love the sea shanties, which are way more fun. I think because the sea shanties are in English, so you can see, sing along. And I'm not learning ancient Greek. So, like, when all the ancient Greek songs sung in ancient Greek were being played on those ships, it was cool. But it didn't really hit the same way as, like, the fun sea shanties. They were a little bit more, like, dour, like, chanting monk songs than they were fun, you know, TikTok, TikTok viral sea shanties it just it hits different it's not as fun it, it kills the mood a little bit while you're getting your ass handed to you on the open ocean it was i don't know it wasn't as fun using assassin's creed as an and as example it, this this decision makes sense with where the trajectory of their games have been going because instead of the yearly assassin's creed game they're taking longer with assassin's creed two to three year game dev cycles and then having like. big dlc later Assassin's Creed as a series has been, like, the bar it raised for itself with Origins, to be fair, it's pretty much stuck. I have not started Valhalla because Odyssey was so fucking huge that I was like, man, I don't know. But I'm to the point now where as soon as, like, it's on sale, I'm going to pick it up because I really liked, for the first time ever, I really liked being stealthy when I was playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And I hear that Valhalla is a smaller map, but... To Assassin's Creed credit, that series was a solid, like, 7, 7.5 that everyone wanted to be good but kind of struggled to be great. And the bar for that series has been consistently raised once they decided to slow down. And, I mean, they're too big. They put too much work into it. They overcompensated. But, like, if they could find a sweet spot for Assassin's Creed and they could come out with an Assassin's Creed that was reasonably sized every three to four years and then the interim do like big dlcs for the assassin's creed that's you know out now i would love that i would honestly love that assassin's creed valhalla needs odyssey's story with its size map it has the opposite problem odyssey has like a really compelling story and that pushed me through that story valhalla does not have that that's my that's my one hesitation is where that's what I've heard. Like I'm like people say Valhalla is not as good, but it is also smaller. And so I'm like, oh, I would like it even if maybe the story's not as great. You know, I could just watch YouTube videos while playing and doing all my sneaky shit, not really paying attention to the story as much. I don't mind that. Um, I could be a super hot Viking chick. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like it wouldn't be this podcast if I didn't also mention that we're talking a lot about Ubisoft. We still haven't had any updates about any of the 
you know, harassment allegations that happened last year, all the firings that happened last year, at the end of last yeah. year in October, you know, 25% of people were surveyed to say that they had a workplace misconduct that we saw, and they haven't really spoken about that. So we can hear about your financials, but tell us what's going on with your culture. Well said. But does that culture change with, like, Eve Gamon at the top? Like, I just... Like, no. There were so never many bad change. eggs like, at the top. Yeah, that's the yeah, real Yeah, right? Like, yeah. he had to know. So, like... I don't know. It just feel like they will continue to say nothing because everybody knows that he knew. So like, yeah. so uh, a consistent fuck Ubisoft from me is a guarantee. In other news, um, Steam did Steam things this week as they are under fire for banning the adult game the Hollow Decks with a triple X at the end. That's how you know it's sexy for being a game that they allowed on their platform. So the the story, Holodex is a VR experience where you are getting lap dances, experiencing some sexual things, and very little pornography happens in-game. But it does happen in-game. It's been on the Steam store for a while. It's existed for a long time, actually. Um, But they have recently included promotions where they get uh, deals with actual adult performers and bring them in game so you can get you know a lap dance from your favorite adult performer that's that really seemed, cool yeah if, it, if it's like with the adult performer's consent and they get a cut of it obviously yeah that's really cool it is and then it is exactly that they're using the name of those then they're helping each other so i'm at the site right now you can get a thing from your favorite porn star riley reed a person that has said the n-word a lot of times um just need to point that out in the world if you didn't know that's a thing that she did and Steam, the the reason that Steam gave the developers is that we do not allow pornography on our platform, which is not correct. Because if you have a Steam account and your premises are set to show adult games, I'll let you know, all you will get in everywhere is porn games. It's just hentai games all around. I have an honest question. Is God of War 3 on there? No, is but God of War 2 on there? Other games with sex scenes are, like Detroit Become Human, and just any game from that studio. What's the studio? Quantic, Quantic Dreams. Dream. Quantic Dream. There, there are detailed sex scenes in all Quantic Dream games. Triple Jinx. That was cute. And they all exist there. There's hentai games on the platform. Some that show pornography, some that show, some that require an extra 18-plus patch that comes later to show nudity. Like Honey Pop. Like Honey Pop. The problem that wasn't explicitly stated to Holodex is that their problem with Steam is that if they if their specific problem with that is that they have models that are the likenesses of real people, then they would have liked to have just known that before them to save them the thousands of dollars developing for a Steam build in the first place. But that doesn't even make sense because we know there's like weird models of uh I can't think of the actor that was in June. Elliot Page? Elliot Page. That's exactly where my mind went. I was like, at least it's not an Elliot Page situation where it's like, they very much do not want that there. Yeah, like, we know that there were nude models of, like, real people. And again, any Quantic Dream. Yeah, any Quantic Dream game, it's like, it's still consenting, too. So even to have, like, the, you know, it's literally the same thing with Quantic Dream. It's just that, you know, Quantic Dream is like, no, we're art. Yeah, this is a long, uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, in the link that's going to be in the show notes, uh, 
there is a point where they're talking about like, oh, the one of the reasons that Steam gave them was they don't want dirty scans of real human actors. And they point out like Quantic Dreams, Detroit Become Human, uses 3D scans of real life people, nude and all. And it's like, what is the difference between what we're doing and what Quantic Dream is doing? It's in the article that from uh, Daily Dot. That's going to be the show notes. This is a uh, long history of Steam being extremely inconsistent with how they uh, curate and monitor adult content on their platform. Because at, for a long time, it was not at all it was what they said but they would still have M-rated games that have sex scenes. So they started slowly opening the floodgates to hentai games, and that seems to be okay now, although it wasn't before. They'll ban queer sex games, but they won't ban other sex games. And they, they, they have a really consistent pattern of being inconsistent and just picking and choosing whatever they want on the platform without giving a real detailed excuse. And this is another example of Steam just kind of stamping out what they deem to be too much for them but not for any uh, reasonable reason. You could just control, replace Steam with Twitch or YouTube. Yes. That's exactly what I was thinking as I was saying those words. I was trying really hard not to say Twitch because it almost came out a couple times. Because it's, I mean, like, this yeah. also came up in the Epic Apple case, right? Like, mm-hmm. Apple really went hard after Epic in, like, a way that I think is super unfair about Itch.io and, like... Because there are adult games on Itch.io and like they like even Epic doesn't have a good answer as to why they are okay with Itch.io being on their app, like app being on their platform, but they aren't okay with having adult games on the Epic game store itself. I'm glad you pointed that out because when I read it, I was like, is this Steam trying to get ahead of shit? Be- like, is this already another result of the Epic Apple lawsuit where Steam was like, oh shit, we gotta go 90s prude gaming censorship for the parents bullshit and start preemptively getting out all of the tawdry shit just in case we get involved in any suits because of stuff that comes out. Like, it felt weirdly timed to be like, is that is that a response? trying to be subtle and then failing miserably or maybe not as miserably i don't know you know it might be it it, it, it it's hard to say because it's, it's it's also just steam doing the having behavior that they've done before but yeah they're also under a, a bigger microscope right now um because of because of epic versus apple which has put everybody under an epic microscope we're gonna be talking about that for, for i feel like months i think in some regard I feel like years. It's like as big as like, I think people don't understand that it is as big as the anti Microsoft antitrust case in what was that? Like the early two thousands, mid two thousands. God, I was going to say the mid nineties. Maybe it was the nineties. No, probably more right. But it might've been the late nineties, like early two thousands. Everything that I think happened in 1995 happened in 2003. That's (laughs) the, I was literally thinking, I thought it was 2003 off the top of my head. I don't know. Yep. <laughs> Every time. It's an industry shattering event that's going to, we're going to see the ripples of for years. To- I'm honestly yeah. just thinking about what Bill Gates was wearing during the trials. And that's what I'm going off of. I'm like, was he wearing the 90s? Like, all my clothes are way too big, but my pants are still tucked in. Like, or, or he had he tailored a little bit more like a normal person. You know, that's why I was trying to picture my head. It's 2001. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Terrifying. 
And that's it for the scrum, which brings us to a pretty heavy quality assurance this week. And I'm just going to go right into it. When social injustice occur in the world, there are a lot of outlets and ways for people to learn about and talk about and speak up and show support. That was shown very prominently last year when during Black Lives Matter protests, you know, the gaming industry, as I've openly critiqued, uh, critiqued on this show, uh, put up support for for Black people. Stop Asian Hate did the same um, in more recent times. And they were pretty much all open to showing to support for these civil rights efforts. Now, that's we've come to learn that that type of support is not equal and that there are some uh, some civil rights injustices that the games industry does not openly do a good job of supporting or talking about. And one of those is the, I want to say, Israeli occupation of, of Palestine. That's how I want to word that. Uh, but what did happen this week is that we saw the role of journalists come up where sometimes in other parts of the in other, in other industries journalism is this place where you learn about these types of injustices freight front forward and you learn about ways to support and things like that in the games industry compared to our other entertainment contemporaries is one that did that this week and not just entertainment contemporaries no other places from journalism in the united states in any major fashion really showed support or a stance on any of these and that sparked a lot. A lot of things happened as a result of that. It, it, it kind of showed us a little bit of, it made us start to think about what the ethics of games journalism is. And to speak more on that, I want to throw it to Spencer. Yeah, I think that like, uh, I think that the initial incident that happened this weekend, which we're going to get into about two outlets, IGN and Game Informer have taken down posts that were semi-confirmed editorially put up of their, like with the support of the editorial board. And like, I, it, it's, anger inducing that like video games sites finally for like one time decided to like get out there and lead and it looks like uh the people who own them are going to have came in and said that like that is not where that is not something you're going to do like that is infuriating but i think that that act is being ignored. I think a lot of people want to ignore the fact that when you are in communications or you're a journalism student, you learn about the ethics of like, I had to take a bunch of classes on ethics of like publicist ethics of PR. Like, I think that like surprises people that like PR people have ethics, but like classes, but there are like, there are rules we are, made to abide by and i think that and like journalists have a lot of ethics that they have to like learn and go through and the one that they teach you the most is that there is a principle called church and state which is like 
so important that they frame it to you in the way that we framed the First Amendment to the Constitution, that there has to be a separation between the people who own it and the journalistic editorial independence of the outlet. Because if that church and state doesn't exist, if that separation doesn't exist, we can never be sure that the independence of that editorial board again. Like, for example, anything that the Washington Post writes about Amazon, you need to be able to trust and not go, well, Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. So, you know, anything they say on Amazon, is that tainted? Are they being forced to say anything nice? Are they sugarcoating anything bad? There were issues when he first bought it where a bunch of other organizations were running pieces on major issues in Amazon's workplace. And one of the few publications not running pieces like that was the Washington Post. Hmm, weird. And that's why, that's not why, but that's one of the millions of reasons why it's so important. That's a real world example outside of gaming where who owns it versus the editorial board itself have to. You have to trust that they're not being influenced. You just you have to, or else that's like or else you have Fox News, yeah, the Sinclair like, Group. You know, yeah. We have tons of examples now in modern media where like that doesn't exist, like Deadspin, which is like crazy to me because Great Hill Partners owns Kotaku, and Kotaku's like Kotaku has a lot of journalistic ethical problems themselves like they are not like they are not on the up and up of being ethical journalists at the end of the day but like today they actually were doing something right they reported the story in the way that you would have to report the story as fact like the facts are IGN and Game Informer took those down we don't have a clear communication from an editor-in-chief or from a department head on the editorial board that says hey yeah no i'm sounding the alarm the editorial independence was breached by the corporation we don't have that confirmation and like it's irresponsible to like for a journal outfit that like wants to be journalistic like kotaku to write that and so they didn't write it and now people are giving them the business about their choice to say that it was the outlet that did it and not the parent company. But, like, that's not the, how, like, I get... The I outlet get, you is the parent company? Like, that's what, one of the problems is, like, the outlet is the parent company. Did IGN do it? Well, the parent company made them. Okay, well, IGN did it, and why? Because the parent company made them is a thing. So there are a lot of people that just really want to create, in my opinion, a degree of separation between the bad thing and the people they like at the institution. And so the difference between the institution doing it and those big bad bosses of the institution doing it are it has to be separate and i think there should be a little bit of separation right like the editorial board did take a huge risk going and saying we're going to do this to begin with right and like that is a risk that they take and they should be rewarded for it but like we also have to take their silence as either they came to some agreement like it or not that like that is why it went down or like or the people who are in the journalistic positions at those companies don't understand the rubicon they have crossed with this act right so let's be really clear clear because i feel like if you're not paying attention you might think that we're like 
It's IGM's fault. Stop distracting. But, but the really important kind of nuanced point that I think Spencer's bringing up here is that in terms of general you know, ethics of games journalism, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the ethics in games journalism, but the ethics of games journalism and the ethics of journalism is things like um, don't burn your sources. If somebody says they want to be anonymous, you keep them anonymous. If somebody says X or Y is off the record or they don't feel comfortable publish- having published, don't publish them. Hi, Kotaku. This is why you don't get any cookies because now the Lawhead's article is still up. Please get rid of it. Uh, well, another very important one is the the divide between the editorial board and the owners. And the editorial board have to be free to write the truth regardless of how that might affect the bottom line of the of the owners because newspapers are not things that should be run for profit like that's just so fucked up as a concept that you have to worry about what news you report based on what's going to be profitable like that's just such an obviously fucked up conflict of interest to start with um and i think that the real issue here is that one of two things happened what Kotaku reported is what we know for sure and nothing more. And so Kotaku is getting some shit for not inferring things. But Kotaku has said that the editorial boards of Game Informer and IGN both signed off on articles. Just literally just saying, here are some ways that you can help Palestine. Palestinian victims of bombings. Here's how you can help children whose apartments were bombed. That's literally all these articles were. They weren't discussing what the conflict was. They weren't assigning or ascribing blame. There wasn't even really any information beyond, hey, some children lost their homes and parents and legs. Would you like to help them in any small way? Here's a list of vetted charities so that you're not giving money to scammers. Basically, all of these were. And the fact that they got removed means one of two things. Either the parent companies said hey you can't post that you need to take that down and the editorial board went okay we'll take it down which is one conversation to have or the editorial board went we don't want to take it down and the parent company said it's coming down anyways and took it down over the objections of the editorial board and if the parent companies of these institutions are removing completely objective news over the heads of the editorial boards that is a huge breach of journalistic ethics and so kotaku didn't want to be like they committed a huge breach of journalistic ethics what they reported was basically they might have or the editorial staff was like hey you really want to publish that okay maybe we won't and then it's like hey editorial staff basically why didn't you know why didn't you stand by that and and say, no, we won't take it down. Like, it's one of two conversations, because if the editorial staff agreed to take it down, then it's like, cool, why? How pressured were you? What was this conversation? Like, that's also could be a huge problem, things like that. Um, Versus, oh, no, they even said no. The editorial staff refused, and then it was taken down anyways. That's the kind of shit you go on strike for. Like, that's how serious that is. And so... A lot of stuff that's happening in this conversation is everyone's so focused on going, wait, 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 wait. The most important part of the story is that it's perfectly clear that the people I like were good and the rich people were bad. And it's like, yeah, that's important-ish. But what's really important is whether or not these institutions' editorial integrity has been breached. 
or whether these editor these editors decided to back down after being pressured, which is basically the same thing, but it's it's curious to see how far it's been breached. Is I guess the concerning question at this point. Is that fair? That is correct. I'm trying to find out like I think the thing that gets lost in the story also is I'm trying to find what year GameStop bought Game Informer. But um, Game Informer has, like, existed and allowed to be the journalistic entity that, like, it is because it's had such serious separation of church and state. Because it's owned by GameSpot or GameStop, right? Like, it is the company that wants to sell you video games also is the company that is investing in a lot of journalists, like actual like journalism, like people you think who write like stories that are like researched and like, like vetted out either worked in Game Informer or currently work at Game Informer, right? Like, and the only reason that magazine has survived is because it was so clean about like it cannot be there cannot be anything that looks like game stop is stepping on or making choices that give them bigger game sales or do all that and if like if that is what is happening like i've said it on twitter a bunch of day it affects every editorial decision that both of these outlets make from here on out exactly exactly how can you try like you can't, like, I'm going to need an editor-in-chief from IGN or a Game Informer to explain to me how you can justify that it is a, that it is, that it is just this, it's just this incident where corporate is going to come in and put their thumb on the scale. But no other incident. You got to, like, trust me, it's no other incident. Just this one, they're going to do it. Like, well, we know that that isn't the case in the past, right? Like, Jeff Gersman got fired, because he refused to let the corporate entity put its thumb on the scale at GameStop, right? Any more than it already had, because he wasn't even that hard on Kanan Lynch. Kanan Lynch could have gotten like a 4.5 and no one would have been shocked. And he gave it a, a fairly reasonable score, if not a little, like, you know, he was being like a little nice. You know, I wouldn't say biased, but just like, you know, he's already trying his best not to be the biggest dick about this game. Giving you the, the, the least <laughs> shitty review he can, and you're still going to be like, nah, I'm going to need at least, like, an 8 out of this bad boy. No way. And it's just frustrating to watch that, like, it took 10 years for people, like, people still use that incident to, like, malign people who are covering video games today, right? Like, people still use, like, oh, you're being bought for reviews, you're doing this, like, you're doing that. Like, people still use that incident against people. And, like, now this is just another thing to be, like, well, like, can you trust them to be making the correct choices? Or are, or is if Davis being, like, yeah, no, you can't do this or you can't do that, you can't say this. You have to, like, the one that gets me is, did Ziff Davis say they had to take the Six Days in Fallujah uh, world's first, like, whatever, and the interview and all of that stuff? Like, was that something that IGN had to do? That's a really good question. And it comes down to when, you know, the ongoing situations with free Hong Kong and Blizzard. How do you trust any reporting that IGN does regarding Hong Kong, regarding the weird concentration camps, regarding anything that involves human rights violations? If so far the line seems to be at best, can't talk about human rights violations. 
This and is- their partner with IGN China is Tencent. And we got into the point now where you think about the big games like media outlets where people do things that we call that are like they're considered games journalism, right? You got IGN, Kotaku, Game Informer, Game Spot. <laughs> I one of them has to change their name. Yes. <laughs> GameStop, GameStop can just die. Yeah, I, th- I thought Close. GameStop was going to die and solve this problem. Go back to being EB Games. For the love of yeah. God, something has to happen. Go back to being Funko Land. I'm so tired. And, and Polygon. Those are the five that come to mind. Those are the, those are like the big, most like front-facing outlets. And more than half of them have strong, reasonable questions about the ethics of the actual work that they do in the last 15 years. The other thing I think it is is that like it's another one of these things like where like everybody makes the joke of like oh, oh I'm not a games journalist well then stop saying you have a news part of your site yes then hire people who are news like you can ha- like we talked about it last week with like the TMZ like there's in like entertainment media there's like TMZ and there's like Variety and there's the Hollywood Reporter and there's outlets that do like just Jeez. reviewing yeah like, yeah there's like all kinds of entertainment news and there isn't any entertainment news and they want to hide behind the idea that they're a journalist when they need it to like sleep better at night because they're burning their sources and just doing things that are like I had to break bad. this scoop. I'm a journalist and my job is to being breaking news. So I had to, you know, ruin the marketing campaign for this new IP that was supposed to launch in a week by releasing information about it early. Like that's their, right. They want to be journalists when it's convenient to get the benefits of journalism when it's, you know, I'm I'm the defender of your first American first amendment game rights you know then they want to be gaming journalists but when it comes time to be accountable to their sources kotaku cecilia was once again getting praised by like 900 people for some shit she was doing and i'm like why do we care what she has to say she's not a journalist she's proven that in the most profound ways that you can who is still paying her who is still listening to her you're not a fucking journalist that word means something People go to journalism. I'm so surprised that the people in the games industry, like Greg Miller, that paid big money to go to journalism school, don't get insulted by the use of the term games journalism. Like, it's a fucking oxymoron at this point. They just all leave. Like, that's the that's the real story of it. They just all leave. Like Jason Schreier's barely in there. Danny O'Dwyer literally was like, I'll be the only documentarian of gaming, because apparently no one thought to do that. And it's the only, like... I can't be a journalist anywhere for games. I can't be a gaming historian. I have to go, you know, shout out to the gaming historian. Again, you have to have your own custom YouTube channel. It's not a big thing. Yeah, it's, they all leave, right? Like, there's just, like, you can look at it. Like, they're, like, we talk, I talk about this when they talk about how, like, tech industry has, like, like, there are tech journalists who have reported on tech journalism since the 90s. Like, Walt Mossberg at the Washington, at the New York Times I think he might have retired or he might be on like a fellow thing, but like he's been there forever, right? Like because they could pay him a wage where he could live in New York and be a tech journalist and do this. And I get it. Like they don't do that in this industry. They don't pay people what their labor is worth. And so like you just get like, like every other part of the industry, it's just like, let's just churn through as many of these people as they want. You get people who are like, I have a student loan because I'm a, I went to journalism school isn't going to be like, yeah, let me survive in San Francisco on an IGN salary. Like, 
And like the thing with IGN that I've noticed is in the past couple months, they've actually have been trying to report on things outside of games. And I had to make sure I wasn't crazy. This is from May 6, 2021. So just 10 days ago, the headline is SpaceX prototype rocket for the moon and Mars makes successful first landing. That has nothing to do about games, but it's on IGN's website. It's and like a tech did... thing. That's why yeah. it's on there because they right. try to they try to do tech news. Honestly, I feel bad for Rebecca Valentine and all this because anything that we're saying, like Rebecca Valentine, shouldn't have her journalistic integrity called into question because she works at IGN and IGN's editor in chief can't release a clear statement about what's going on with their editorial decisions. And for the record, as of the time of this recording, because the situation is probably going to evolve, um, there's only been one person between IGN and Game informer that has really spoken well one from each um from ign one person spoke out um on twitter um just tweeting out that they were completely blindsided like i gutted and blindsided which again leads credence to the this is a this is the huger deal this is the they didn't even ask them to take it down they just removed it or they asked them to take it down they were told no and then they removed it anyways like this seems like it's more evidence that IGN's situation was a straight up hostile takeover of their editorial integrity which is worst case scenario most huge problem but we're not sure yet and then uh, Leanna Rupert from Game Informer made a statement, basically also confirming, unfortunately not confirming the, spe- the specificity that we need, but confirming that it was a higher up decision in management. Again, the difference between management being forced from the most highest ups to take it down and the editorial board coming to a decision like, is this the fight that we want to pick and deciding no are two different situations. And I'm still qu- not 100% sure what the Game Informer situation was. But the IGN one so far, the only little bit of evidence we have is that this was a complete overreach and assertion of their editorial process. The specific thing that Leanna Rupert said was, uh, you know, at Game Informer, everything goes through an editorial process, all articles, without naming specific pieces, nothing has gone up recently that did not have the full backing of the entire editorial staff. And that's how, like, good news places work right like everything is vetted through uh uh an editorial board when i did like one of the first like social media things i did was for like a small like very tiny paper like an independent paper right they vetted every tweet through their editorial board because they wanted to make sure every headline and every tweet was what they were trying to get across right and like that's the kind of like like, that's the kind of time and resources and care the largest video game news site in the whole of the internet should be doing. Like, that's not too much. Don't put news. Don't put IGN news if you're not going to act like a news source. Internetgamingnews.com. Is the long form URL internetgamingnews.com taken? That's not what IGN stands for. Anyone's screaming at me at home. That's not what IGN... I know that's not... The joke is that AR-15 yep. is assault rifle number 15. It's the same joke. I don't know if you guys... It's the are same really... joke. Okay, thank you. It, it's what... <laughs> this, this this brings up why I'm always so hesitant to... I always refer to it as what people identify as saying as being games journalism, what people call games journalism. Because I... I don't acknowledge a lot of the things that we see as journalism for reasons like this and also like just jotting down press releases is like different. It's like, it's really, it's really different from the extended journalistic process. 
which is jotting down press releases is a job that the IGN publishes publicists should be doing like that's like literally what publicists are there for to like write and receive pr correspondence like that is their job that is what they go to school for that's what they train for like they understand the lines that and like really it's because like there are lines that like a publicist knows like i can't say this like i can't like be out there actively lying about it like i guess i can but i'm doing a disservice to the person i'm doing like the person i am hired to do the publicist for right like which is why you get all those weird like people get like really like upset when like pr is very vague and whatever because they don't want to cross the line of like actively lying guys like actively doing something illegal should we buy internetgamingnews.com and become the new ign because it's available for 13 dollars a year am i gonna buy internetgamingnews.com if you are you have to do it for wednesday i think i could just edit this part out i don't want to tell the oh right yeah secrets magic but I'm on Wix.com, internetgamingnews.com, available. I'm just saying, what start our oversight. own website with Blackjack and Hookers, make that the URL. And no, <laughs> and when you type it in, it'll redirect to our website. Yeah. Yeah. Just make it a redirect. Oh, internetgamingnews.com. Oh, I want to buy that domain. Oh, fuck, I might buy it. Oh, it's only $12. Oh, $12.95. It's like $15 after tax. Oh, for a year? Okay. Guys. <laughs> That's pretty good. Okay, sorry. That's kind of surprising. I want to touch on something really quick, but I don't want to, like, go too far off the rails on it. I would like to say that, like, IGN, yet again, is, like, rewarding bad behavior. We watched them reward bad behavior during Gamergate when they put out that statement. was like, we don't support harassment, but there's people in our our site that that work at our site who have varying opinions about Gamergate and we don't want to like cross anybody's lines or cross any toes and have a statement about it, but don't harass people. That's bad. Right. We saw them cross that line. We've seen them do this a bunch of times. They always reward bad people. Like literally on Friday night or was it Friday or Saturday, Saturday night, they were getting like lit up in the business end from the world's worst video game commentator, Colin Moriarty, just, just giving them the business about how it was wrong and bad and they shouldn't be doing this and virtue now he's out there and now he's out there crowing and retweeting that they had to take it down and doing all this like your actions on both sides have consequences Mm -hmm. um can you also take the time to explain why alana pierce is not a games journalist and has no idea apparently what the concept of journalism is, even is. You wanna you wanna hit us with that one real quick? Oh, Stop listening to Alana Pierce. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Like I predicted, Zombie lost her career for defending Alana Pierce's racist bullshit, and Alana's response was dead fucking silence until it went away, and now she's back to being totally normal. Did not affect her whatsoever because she's a pretty white woman, so nothing. Matters. She did apologize. Yeah, she no, she, she she made no. She didn't mention Zombie by name. She she apologized right. for her one little racist thing, and then so like, oh by the way, I also make this really horrifying hate crime joke that you guys haven't found out about yet. So let me just get that out there too. But no, she didn't mention Zombie repeatedly. Every week, you see tweets of Zombie in support of Alana Pierce, and Zombie's yep. biggest hit that initiated everything that went with her takedown, whether or not you, however you feel about what happened with that, uh, 
it was initially the snowball was formed because Alana kept making microaggressions and Zombie wouldn't address right. it wouldn't address it with it hard enough basically for other people's comfort levels. That was the initial like kernel in the snowball. Alana Pierce is responsible for that. And she was like, let me cover, let me make it one statement as small as possible that literally makes sure not to name anybody and only addresses my involvement and then not say shit about anything again until it blows over. And I can go back to tweeting with Chris Reagan. She tweets with Chris Reagan just shooting the shit about video games. She's just chummy buddy with the Colin Moriarty crowd. It's gross. Ryan McCaffrey is on Colin's podcast next week. Fuck him. Everyone was giving me shit when he was doing his Elon Musk standing because, you know, well, he allowed black people to be on IGN podcasts. And it's like, you don't get brownie points for that. That's less than the bare minimum. I, it he would be weird the, if you he's didn't. Also the, oh, he's also the guy who did the puff piece interview with the six days in Fallujah. Guy. Yes, he did. So and like, I, let's not forget that. I gave him shit for that. And the response I got was, well, you know. One of his black friends was on the podcast a couple times, so obviously he's an ally. I don't know what your problem is. Well, congrats. He's super stoked about his upcoming appearance on Colin Moriarty's new podcast. Stop telling me I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about when I call people out on bullshit. It's obnoxious. So to answer your question about why Alana Pierce is not a games journalist, Alana Pierce is not a games journalist because one week ago in her May 2021 question and answer, she actually said, I'm not a games journalist. So stop listening to her when she talks about games journalism because she doesn't want to be one. She doesn't think she is one. So she shouldn't keep her mouth quiet when big things like this are happening. I get she wants. I am sympathetic to the fact that she wants to protect her friends who are at IGN from when she was at IGN. Like I am sympathetic to the fact that you want to protect your friends from like bad shit happening or people being mean to them on the internet because you know, it's gamers and you know, someone's going to take it too far. Like I'm sympathetic to that, but they're your friends. You do not, it's, you it's, do not get that's to the get... first problem. Like first off the jump, I get that you want to protect your friends, but this is a professional setting and you can't treat them as your friends. You have to treat them as professionals in a work environment because that's what you're addressing. And one of the biggest problems of the incestuous pile that is the games community is that everyone is everyone's best friend. So everyone is afraid of calling everyone else out because they're all friends. No, you are friends when you're not working. When you're on the clock, your coworkers sharing an industry, period. You need to hold your coworkers accountable. It can be very separate from how you feel about them as a friend in person. I would hope that you can have a line there. That's called professionalism. I expect it of you. Yeah, she tweeted out that, like, she is the one who made the tweet about Kotaku and how, like, she basically dumps on Kotaku that, like, it wasn't it wasn't IGN that did it. It was the corporate overlords. And then, like, I literally watched in real time as she tweeted that out, as people then used that tweet to go after, like, very mild statements from other, like, Patrick Klepik is one. Who, like, Patrick, I consider, like, a dude who wants to do journalism. Yes. Like... He wants to vet out his stories. He's very serious about his sources. He is, like, everybody makes fun of him that he was scoops at Giant Bomb. But, like, he wanted to do scoops and he wanted to do it in a way that was, like, 
followed how you would do that in like a journalistic setting. And so like watching people then tweet Alana's like dump on Kotaku into like actual journalists mentions like that guy doesn't know how how video game websites and the relationship between publishers and uh writers and editors is is just like infuriating like just like I am not usually a person who's like know your lane but like you don't want to be a journalist then just don't have it you don't have to have opinions about journalism like and the journalism stuff that's happening you don't have to have an opinion about everything it it's gone a lot of things have made me feel this way in the last couple years that all my time working in the industry a lot of things have made me feel this way but like the more we learn about the organizations that are like the temple organizations and games, the less I want to work with them, right? So like I, I worked on any game, didn't have to worry about that. I'm working on like large games now, and there's going to be a point where like without a doubt, these large games are going to get like big scoops on. I don't use the word scoops. Get uh, get features. marketing, get features. Thank you on on your IGNs, in your Game Informers, and I'm just like, I, I don't even want to... I mean, good thing these are, like, big games and not any games, so, like, my name isn't going to be... It's like, I don't even want to... I don't even want to fuck with any of y'all. I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. I think the biggest embarrassment... Like, the gaming industry should be embarrassed at the state of its press. It doesn't have a site that's covering the biggest... None of the sites are covering the biggest case in video games since, like who was the guy that like hauled everybody into Congress over the hot coffee stuff. Like, like that was the last time, like this was like a big, like precedent setting Congress is going to get involved kind of thing. And the coverage I'm following is from a tech site, not from a video game site. You should be embarrassed. This is your industry. What are you doing? And I said last week that all of these sites were trying to be like the CNN of games. I would say that Polygon and Kotaku were trying to be like the MSNBC of games, to be fair. And I think IGN is the, you know, biggest ringleader for CNN of games. But I also feel like IGN and GameSpot struggle because they try to be the CNN of games while also being the e-network of games. So they try to play this, like, oh, we want to do, like, mass market appeal, like, lowest common denominator bullshit reciting, um, oh my god, I forgot what they're called. Reciting. Press releases. Press releases. Good guess. That was exactly it. No, I, was know, following, I was following your point. You know, just reciting press releases and doing, like, fluff interviews with actors that are in the game and directors and studio heads that are at the game studios in the same way that, you know, E'll have interviews with actors and directors and, you know, maybe even if they're winning an Oscar for costuming, you'll get the costume designer, uh, things like that. And so because they're trying to do all of that, they end up falling more towards that, like, E entertainment news not quite tmz but more of like the e true because you'll get the e true hollywood story occasionally you will get those like fairly good hard-hitting pieces of journalism where they're allowed to do a little journalism as a treat and and so it's hard because you're right you don't have even a cnn of gaming you don't have one that's just like well here's some actual fucking gaming news like this is the news reported as news with the tone of news 
and it's really tragic. Like I, like I said, I would love if we could just normalize having tonal differences between our journalistic outlets and gaming the way that we have just like whole websites dedicated to reviewing. Again, Ebert and Roper are huge. What do, you, what do we have that's Ebert and Roper for gaming? Jack shit. Metacritic. <laughs> like, which is the Rotten Tomatoes of gaming. It's not even the same thing because it's aggregate. You know what I mean? Like, we, we struggle because IGN has to do reviews. It has to be a whole critic website in addition to everything else it is. It has to be a whole full critic website and a gaming news had a website and a general gaming you know, news, fluff PC news website. It's just... And they have to have opinion. They have a huge... Yeah. Their whole video team is nothing but opinion. Yeah. yeah. And, like, there's tons of newspapers that have an editorial staff. So you could see even a situation where you find some game orgs. Like, to me, what IGN should do... Like, in a perfect world, IGN would split. And IGN would have, like, IGN stay the, like... Here's the fun, goofy stuff and the videos and the game walkthroughs and the interviews and fluff pieces and the more lighthearted, like, e-entertainment news version of gaming. And then they would spin off and also have, like, a, a Washington Post, New York Times style, like, we do journalism that requires months of research, which means paying our staff, like, living wages and, and research money. And then we also have, like, a whole editorial team. And we have those Someone two halves. Come. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that why IGN News and the banner of IGN News exists, right? Because, like, when the video teams were formed and when, like, Up at Noon was starting and all of those, like, more – and like, the podcasts were, like, in their thing, like, they knew they couldn't, like, have all of those be one thing and there had to be, like, news and that but like when you look at the daily fix it doesn't come in as like ign it comes in as ign news so like they already have that in place it's that like staffing a news staffing a new fully staffing a newsroom fully staffing an opinion room fully staffing it's too a much they review can't room it. is a lot of money yeah that's, that's a lot thing. of people who can't cross pollinate yeah but they just let everyone cross pollinate and that's, again, with the incestuous nature of gaming, that's another, like, I, I use that phrase so often because it, it it conveys so many different layers of the problems of gaming. Everyone knows each other. Everyone has friendly outside of work relationships with each other. Everyone is has their hands in a million different pots because everyone gets their start in gaming by essentially being like, look, I have a mini IGN where I do everything so that you can see that, like, I can get my foot in the door because that's the... For some reason, it's impossible to get into this industry that pays like shit and has no clear delineation between news and editorial and advertising and what have you. And just like it's it's layer upon layer of this is why everything's fucked. And it's just it can all be described as incestuous. It's just it's such a problem. It's such a problem. It's a tangle of emotions. I don't know. I just like looked at the t the article that got taken down because you can find it on web.org. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, literally, this is all because somebody was like, we can't have a post up there with a link to doctors without borders. Like, we're not even talking about like, bit, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're not talking about like specific things. We were talking about like very broad uh, United Nations Relief and Work Agency, right? 
Um, there are a couple that are uh, Palestinian specific, like the Palestinian Ch- Children Relief Fund. Yeah, right? I was going like, to say, you like, mean medical aid for Palestinians? That one? Yeah, it's like... It literally, the, the last sentence is literally, we hope you'll join us in helping civilians in need, is the phrase they use. Chosen specifically to wade off any, you're just funding Hamas arguments. Like, you can't tell me that that wasn't specifically crafted by the editorial team to try their best to make a good statement while walking the line that is the Israel-Palestine conflict. So this reads in full. We hope you'll join us in helping civilians in need in these Middle East regions... So not even referring to Palestine as a state other than naming the the charity and at the top when they refer to them as Palestinian citizens. But uh, these Middle East regions by donating to the above organizations and causes. I will say, so there's two, there are two paragraphs that are not literally just a link to a charity. That was the last paragraph, which, as you guys heard, was just one sentence. The first paragraph reads, in its entirety, in case you don't want to look up this uh, Wayback Machine link, Palestinian civilians are currently suffering in great numbers in Jerusalem, Gaza, and West Bank due to the active Israel-Palestine conflict. That's how it's phrased. The New York Times reported that most of the deaths so far have occurred in Gaza. Below are charities with a link to the New York Times reporting. Below are charities and organizations on the ground in those areas where you can donate funds to help those most in need. We will continue to update this article with other ways you can help posted may 14th at 9 38 p.m so there was the intention of updating this article this was this this was planned out this was planned to be updated and it is gone now because it was too provocative that's insane again how do you go to ign and read about anything that's happening with you know retribution for sabiobi for speaking about taiwan existing you know how how do you take these articles that, again, I feel like I'll say it again. I feel bad for Rebecca Valentine. Like, how do you take articles that people who are really trying to do important journalism that not only is important journalism, but has clear and important ties to the gaming community? Like, it's not, it, there's no question that it impacts the gaming community. Six Days in Fallujah is still in production. You can't talk about that and ignore what's happening. Like, you're making that game. In a climate where this is what's happening in Palestine. Like, you can't ignore that there aren't important ramifications when discussing games. When discussing Call of Duties that take place in the Middle East. You know, there have been some great discussions lately about how gaming finally needing to have a reckoning with the fact that we have contributed to the dehumanization of people in the Middle East by making them the generic cannon fodder in thousands of Call of Duties. Like, that's just a reality. Period. And to ignore what's going on in Palestine because it's hard and then still producing games where they're cannon fodder or randomly generated, it's dishonest. It's willfully ignorant and it's privileged, period. You look at the staff at IGN, if you you do just the, the modest, the smallest amount of research, there's so many people there with like actual journalism degrees that are like that in some ways I just know they're just like, they're, they're, they're frustrated that they can't actually make use of that. And some are like with, with this, your, your integrity as a person with a journalism degree is like question itself. you like, just by be associating and working there at that outlet without more information coming to us about how these things have been taken down, how things have been posted. We, we, we just don't know anything. It's, 
I oh, and I did want to say, so the one comment that we have so far from somebody from IGN is uh, Stella, uh, Parallax Stella on Twitter, who literally just tweeted three words, blindsided and furious. So like I said, we don't have a lot to go on with IGN, but she said or she said that and then so that's where we're at so far which to me blindsided and furious means that if this was a decision that the editorial board agreed on it was only the top and they did not talk about it with everybody who had decided to post yes at the very least this was not a unanimous decision Mm -hmm. or even one that everyone was made aware of I think that you make a really good point and I tried to make that earlier on Twitter to a lesser degree is that there are unintended consequences for edit for editors and journalists who in the face of seeing their corporate person, corporate company, uh, reach their hand in there are like, it's like there is a cost to that. And, like, someone tried to get in my business that I was like, but these people have jobs and they want to be held. Like, they have to, like, how can you expect them to hold their employees, their employers accountable? Like, they have more power than any of the readers will ever have. That is the point. Like, they just will. Like, I'm sorry they're in that situation. I understand. I, again, sympathize that, like, yeah, we all need a paycheck to live. But, like, sometimes... That means having to do hard stuff. And sometimes it means you don't get to be a video game journalist because being a journalist is more important. Yeah. I mean, God, that was well said. I think it's important to note that this is a great reason to unionize. First off, the answer to to that question is because if they had a union, they could go, no, you're putting that post back up. The union did not agree to take that down. So the union will not work until that post goes back up. And you go on fucking strike. Like, this is the type of situation where I would think that a strike would be a perfectly valid response. That's how serious this breach is. That any normal, like, any civilization that wasn't late-stage capitalism would fucking go on strike at this egregious betrayal. Ununionized IGN workers got together and forced their management and their editors to take sexual harassment serious. I was just like, thinking about two that. Two years ago, right? Like they didn't write articles for one whole day. They said, we're not doing this. And like they made a meaningful change to who was the editor in chief at IGN, who was in the top like editorial staff. Like we've seen more women be promoted into the editorial board since that time has happened. They have done it before. They have held their employer accountable before. So there's just a million reasons why it's like a lot of the Israel-Palestine conflict can be summed up with just because an answer is hard to accept doesn't mean it's actually a hard question. Period. Sometimes the answer is to do this thing. Yes, that thing is hard. Still is the thing that needs to be done. Period. It just, yeah, sometimes the right thing sucks. Sometimes the right thing is not easy. That's why not everybody does the right thing. You duh. We all know that. But it's easier not to. We all know. Trust me. I've been in the games industry for over half a decade. The games industry's motto is it's easier not to. Inaction is not in and of itself an action. Is the, is the thing that keeps everyone in the games industry sleeping at night. Because they couldn't any other way. 
There is one other piece of this puzzle I want to discuss, too. Uh, and that is, I discovered quite a few things. I don't know what's common knowledge. Y'all can tweet at us uh, how stupid I am. So I know IGN UK exists. I know IGN Australia exists. Um, I think end of... Oh, I, I, isn't there an IGN France? There is IGN France, because yeah, IGN there, France still has their Palestinian article up. As of the time of this recording, uh, IGN France did not take it down because uh, IGN France probably has a union. Right? I was like, because they're French. <laughs> Are you kidding me? They go on strike for no reason. They don't give a fuck. They cut off heads once, and now they get to have unions. <laughs> this is just how it works. So, but what I found out is that IGNs are like subways. It's not that these are all like the offshore headquarters of IGN. IGN, and I'm saying this shocked, shut, like, tell me if I'm an idiot, but IGN franchises out. They just, you could just buy the name. If you, if you're somewhere that's not the United States or someplace that already has an IGN and you want to start like IGN Malta, you could probably do it. Just a fun fact for anyone in Latin America. You know, IGN Japan, I think, is already a thing. But maybe we could get, like, IGN Taiwan. That'd be fun. There's 25 of them. 25. We- Jesus. So, of those 25, is IGN Israel. There is a fucking IGN Israel. And IGN Israel. Right, right. So, IGN Israel, as you might have... Th- as you might not be surprised to hear, issued a response to the situation regarding um, IGN's editorial removal. And it reads, Dear Netizens, which I thought was fun. I haven't heard Netizen used in a tweet in a while. Dear Netizens, we were also amazed to discover this morning a misleading and confusing donation campaign found on the American IGN website. It is important for us to emphasize that we condemn this action and we did not take part in it or were aware of it. It is not our way. Apparently periods are also not their way. Fun fact. We at IGN Israel support the Israel state. Obviously. Fair. And support the IDF soldiers who are doing everything to keep us all safe these tough days. We are working in all possible ways to remove this misleading content from the American edition, which does not represent the views of any IGN editions, including France, which still has theirs up. That is um, a bold claim. Right also, after, right after just... I read this tweet, real quick, literally right after I read this tweet, I read a tweet directly under it from one person who reported the death toll in their immediate family, and it included an eight-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. Right after reading this. No, can we just have a moment that he calls it the American IGN? Like, <laughs> IGN Israel and IGN are, like, on the same Not level. even on the same like, level. No, dude, We're going to tell American IGN what's up. Like, don't worry. We'll take care of American IGN's bullshit, you know, Doctors Without Borders links. We'll like, tell them how to fucking act. Don't trip. Like, I have spent a good part of the day trying to chase down who is the media company that owns IGN Israel. And as far as I can tell, it's like one dude who owns it. So like one rich Israeli dude somehow had connections to Ziff Davis and now there's an IGN Israel. Like that's the only way I could come up with like how this happened. Because like the press release on it's bad. The LinkedIn on it is like weird. And you're just like, okay, so like is that just what it takes? Like, yeah. Are we getting an IGN Canada? Like, does Canada get like, its does own Canada IGN? Have like, one? I'll have Canada does not have one. North America. Canada is just considered 
America's hat, so no. they don't get one. Yeah, I'm I'm da- I'm going to do IGN Canada from Washington State, so I think that'd be even better. I run IGN Canada from America, duh. So, to conclude, the integrity of the biggest uh, media outlet in our industry is up to be questioned, and we still are waiting for answers. So, IGN, give us some answers. And so the entire podcast uh, isn't talking about how terrible IGN is, which, you know, I could take I could take a whole day for reasons that IGN be fucking up. Uh, we did play some games this week. We, we, we also need gaming. a jingle for the free play. So here we are with free play. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> you love it give me something Ooh. better that's forever now placeholder play some games how about that you, you give me a week and i can make a great jingle for every single thing that we got i can make a great jingle for every single <laughs> you got a week <laughs> you got a week <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> you know what? We can keep it, and that's 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 Wait, fine. Really like, for, 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 Don't we just play. have like more music? Can't we just put like? No, <laughs> it's more fun. I love this. You guys don't love the scrum every week. Every no. week you don't love the scrum. You guys don't even fucking listen to this podcast. Who am I talking about? Not oh, yeah, one of you. Not <laughs> a do. single one that's of not you. True. I listen. Caleb, we already talked about this two episodes ago. No, you didn't, because I removed it two episodes ago. (laughs) And it's removed now. Just because I have memory of, like, what I listened to versus what I recorded, that doesn't mean I don't That's real hard. That's real hard, too. (laughs) Kaylee, I eat edibles. Give me a break. Come on. Yeah, that's intense. I'm not there yet. I'm going to call that an edible arrangement. Um, (gasps) I would love an edible edible arrangement. arrangement. This weekend had two big betas that I took part in, and first was the Guilty Gear Strive open beta. You know, I because uh, I'm going to bring it up a second time, it means that Kaylee can't cut this out. I brought up Bullshit Blazing in the beginning of the podcast, and if you don't know what that means, Guilty <gasps> Gear Strive has this dope-ass intro that goes, that is Bullshit Blazing! It's, it's real This fun. makes sense now. Tiger, I know this. Oh, I could, this is your revenge already. I got my revenge just now. But Jordan, don't tell me what I can and cannot cut out of this podcast. I will make you sound like a goddamn ransom note, jigging around all crazy, saying whatever I want. Listen, I swear to God, I'll make you have... say some crazy bullshit. I'll make you sing I'm a little teapot slowly over the course of 12 episodes and then edit it together. You'll never see it coming. I own you. I'll absolutely see it coming. That's the difference. <laughs> and I have no problem challenging you in that way. Um... And my uh, feelings about the Guilty Gear Strive beta is that it is the prettiest fighting game I've ever played, and it's kind of boring. Um, there's, there's, there's a trend in fighting games lately where uh, to be to have the feeling of being more accessible or more approachable to newer players, it's like a very simple at first, and then they add complexity as the game goes forward. That's what happened with Street Fighter V and Guilty Gear Exert and any Mortal Kombat game, it, Dragon Ball Fighters. It's a, it starts with like a small cast of characters with kind of similar movesets and similar mechanics. It kind of feels a little bit slow. And, and as the seasons progress, they add more mechanics. They add more characters. They spice things up. They make things weird. And this feels like the first step of that, where, you know, Guilty Gear's 
pretty known to be pretty fast and pretty free. It just feels a little bit limited. Characters feel slow. It's fine. Like it just it just didn't feel special to me. And it felt kind of cookie cutter. And that part of it was probably because I couldn't find a character that I resonated with. But it also goes to the fact that it feel it felt kind of limited and that it shouldn't yeah. be hard for me to feel a character. I just, yeah, I, just I was curious play. if it felt like Guilty Gear. Like I'm sure you've played other Guilty Gear games. Like you know how those games feel. This feel like the next generation of Guilty Gear, or did it feel like some, like, not rip off, but like, if it, it felt like it still feels like Guilty Gear. It still has the heart of Guilty Gear in there, but it just it just felt a little watered down. And you know that could be a good thing. It could be more accessible. But the problem with fighting games is that. You know, no matter how watered down you get, the best people are still going to make you feel like you're not playing the game when you're beating them. So when it feels too watered down from the beginning, I feel like there's the risk of it, like, alienating people out that, like, this isn't interesting. There's other games that are interesting. I'll just play that instead. The main reason why this game is still going to be doing very well is because it is the first, you know, fighting game of this generation. The first big AAA fighting game of this generation. And it has like some of the best net code in any fighting game of the last As 15 years so far. Knows what they're doing. Um, so it's gonna do well no matter what. But I just hope I just hope it gets more fun later because I want to be bullshit blazing. Um, the other beta that I took part in was the Fantasy Star Online New Genesis closed beta, which is only uh, accessible to people on Xbox. And I thought that I'd not, I wouldn't get in because the beta started on Saturday and I signed up for it on Friday, but I got in pretty easily. And that, from what I'm feeling, is the Final Fantasy XIV Heaven Sword of Fantasy Star Online. It is taken, it's a game that came out in 2010-ish and it's making it feel like it's a game that came out in like 2017, which Damn. is still good enough. I think it's going to be, it's like, it's like a whole new experience because I played Fantasy Star Online when we got it in America uh, late last year, and it it just felt like an old game. It, it like I would have loved that game when it first came out, but it felt old. It looked old, and it was sluggish. The combat was faster and smoother in this game. The characters are prettier. I could play as characters that look like uh, people from Yakuza Seven, like a dragon. It was. It had all the things that. I needed and it was also just more accessible as far as going through the menus and way less overwhelming than fantasy star online proper is so i'm really excited and that's i don't really have much to say about that because i really only got to play like three hours as it was a open beta that had a lot of server problems but it was i'm excited for the experiences that i'll have with that when it does actually come i'm disappointed that i will have to play it on xbox however that's yeah. where it's coming out with a time exclusive. I was just checking it. Yeah, this is going to be a Game Pass game, and I assume when it comes to PC, it'll also be on Game Pass PC. So that's a possibility in the future. Wait, maybe. it's not Xbox PC exclusive. It's literally just Xbox exclusive. It is console exclusive, time limited for Xbox, and then it'll be. It's just on PC. So New Genesis will exist on Xbox PC. Okay, I don't know Xbox if you home. think that you answered my question, but I'll ask my question again. Bless your heart. When the game comes out, is it launching on Xbox and PC or just Xbox? 
Yeah, that's what I was getting to next. It'll be on the Xbox platform that exists on PC and on Xbox consoles. I'm going to kill you. So it's going to be on <laughs> PC, then. You can just play it yes. on PC day one if you want. Yes, if you have an Xbox account and access to, like, So Xbox it's going to be on Xbox. PC in the same way that any Xbox game is also a PC game? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. The, uh, I, I, was, I wanted to differentiate because of what happened with the Apple versus Epic, where the... Com- Xbox the ex- the console or Xbox? The explanation of what Xbox is can be difficult. <laughs> Sometimes. If you, yeah, no, that was hella confusing. Yeah. I was just so confusing. <laughs> yeah. I hate in you, order, Xbox. I fucking in order you. to get that game, the process, by the way, in order to get into the beta, I had to go to the... I had to download a new app on my computer. I'm going to look up what it is right now. Xbox Insider Hub. That's a cool and name. activate the account there. Then go to the the Windows Store to then download the beta client and then log into X, my Xbox account to then sign into my Xbox account through that beta client to then play the game. That was how many hoops I needed to get to just to just to play it. Is this like Microsoft Test Flight? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, just trying to figure out. Is this like, because like you're going through it and I'm like, this sounds like you're using, like you're trying to test an iPhone app. You have to go through this other thing to download this thing to be able to do it. And you're just like, oh. Really, yeah. I just want to do the thing. Just make it easy. And the beta client was different from the game client, so I technically had the game downloaded twice on my computer. Once on Steam and once through the Xbox client. It was confusing. It also took up 70 gigs both times. Oh, God. Holy shit. Uh, the final thing that I played that I did want to talk about, because I, I just... I played Dreams. And I, and I say that with a little bit of disappointment. I hate Dreams as a platform. I hate games that uh, whole or the whole thing is other people create content for us. We make money off of this. They can't make money here. You know, Dreams does that. Roblox does it, but you can make money off of Roblox and their whole studios based off of successful games on Roblox. But Dreams, all that money goes to Dreams. Um, Dreams has so many interesting indie games and indie proof of concept games. That I, I wish that it wasn't stuck on that platform. I played I played a Sonic Adventure reimagined like like a Super Mario game, where it's like in the Super Mario overworld, super cool. Didn't play very well, but no Sonic games really do anymore. No 3D Sonic games. I played a bunch of indie games. That was fun, but I just wanted to talk about Dreams for a couple of seconds because Indies, man, we doing interesting stuff. More people need to see it. Um, do you still want to talk about Resident Evil? We're going. I was going to say, do you want me to talk about the hot vampire lady? Because I could talk about the hot vampire lady. Speaking of indies, Resident Evil Shut Village. Up. I would like you to talk about the hot vampire lady, please. Please. Um, okay, so this game. Okay, I have like some fundamental problems. So spoilers for the first like. I don't know, 20 minutes of Resident Evil 8. I don't know who we need to like talk to, but can we stop killing the woman off in the first 15 minutes of every Japanese horror game? I just really need you guys to stop <laughs> to stop doing that, right? Like I am I am constantly mad that I'm playing as Ethan through this whole game. I want to play as Mia. You mean like, Griffin McElroy? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> they never should have showed us what his character model looked like. That's that's nothing I ever needed. He's the babyest brother. But that's like starting off like that's like where I'm at is like I'm having a lot of fun, but I'm playing this whole game going like, why do I have to be Ethan Winters again? Why can I not? Why? Why did you kill off? Why did you kill off the interesting character? And I know why, because I have because I've played this game on Twitch. So that means I get spoilers in my inbox. Thanks for that, guys. No, people love that. I know why it is, but I still just I'm tired of seeing that trope specifically in Japanese horror games. I kind of miss the days where in Resident Evil games, you got to choose a protagonist out of a small group of people. Me too. Uh, where you can get that little bit of variety and their stories actually mattered that they, in the ways that they were different. The so only good I was... part of Resident Evil 6? <laughs> I don't know. How to, I don't know. I, I didn't play Resident Evil 6. From what I've heard of Resident Evil 6, that's the only good part of Resident Evil 6. <laughs> it's fine. I just think it isn't what people wanted. Yes, that's what that's it's like a it's like the Avengers game. It's just not what people wanted. It's just not what people wanted. I okay, so I've gotten through I'm on to the second house. And um they do a really good job of breaking up this game in uh like houses like the village is ruled by lords basically and um you have to go through and like deal with each uh each like different like lords like world and the one i'm in now is what i want every resident evil game to be capcom if you're listening make it more what is the name of her i can't think of her name but she's the girl in black with the creepy doll she her house should be the template for all Resident Evil games going forward. It is so scary and surreal and nothing makes sense. And like um I'm very excited. I'm I hope that that continues in the game, but I kind of think it will be contained to that house. But that's the game I want to see next. Hopefully this week I'm going to gather the courage to play a little bit of Resident Evil 7 in VR. Ooh, that's scary. Because I bought it last year when it was on sale, uh, and I'm like, it's maybe it's time. I don't like horror. <laughs> it's not a thing I like experiencing alone, and uh, that's the only option in VR. But if if it's if it really terrifies me the way that I think, I'm probably gonna get uh, uh, eight or village as well and try it there. I will say that in the time that I have put in. Uh eight rolls back more to being like horror in like the settings and the stories and the things that are happening and less horror in the like jump scares that happened in seven seven is terrifying to me where like i couldn't finish playing it on stream because i was just like shaking and crying through like the last like bit of it um and I write, I, I make a horror podcast. I love horror movies. I love horror games, though. Freak me out every time. There's, I don't know. I just don't like horror games as much as I like horror movies. They make me uncomfortable. But I like playing them. Uh, See, I don't like playing them, but I like watching horror games the way I like watching horror movies. But I do not like playing. I get too scared to walk forward. Because I was like, if I'm in this situation, I'm not walking forward. I'm leaving. I'm running now. I'm getting the fuck out of here. No. 
Yeah, the scariest game I've played was Dead Space and Outlast. Well, Outlast is pretty scary. That's super scary. Both those games. Yeah. Fuck you, Zyger. Those are scary games. <laughs> um, but, scariest uh, game I played was What Remains of Edith Finch. I think it's, for me, it's Resident Evil 2 in the year 1998. <laughs> I mean... With the lights off. Ooh, no. I can't ever play it with the lights off, which is another reason why I stream, because then my big lights are on. Um, they... Uh, Seven is less. Seven is way more scary than eight is, and I think that that is to eight's benefit. I've come to realize this is a small tangent that um, so I was born in the year nineteen ninety two, so I learned about Roman numerals from uh, Final Fantasy games. So right now in the doc that I'm looking at for this podcast, it says R E eight with Roman numerals in my brain. It's still, it just says Final Fantasy eight. It does. That's just what it says. <laughs> it, just, it just says that I got. I got. I have to work actively to say Resident Evil. I learned Roman numerals from the Reader Rabbit games, where you were a lion and you had to do different levels, and you could only collect certain things. And sometimes there's fractions, and sometimes there's Roman numerals, and then it would get harder, where it's like you could only get Roman numerals that are like divisible by five or whatever. And so then you had to really know the Roman numerals and. So I had to ask my mom because nobody taught them in school because I guess that was just an oversight in my educational system. The only, other, the only other thing I played this week, and I don't really have a whole lot to say about it uh, that people haven't said is I've been playing Mass Effect uh, Legendary Edition. I have a stream save and I have a my save, which are basically the same save because like. I'm not going to make different decisions in Mass Effect. Like, but they feel different. <laughs> but they're different emotionally. I love how beautiful this game is. It's very pretty. I can't wait. Uh, and I was not prepared for everybody to hate on Mass Effect 3. I'm so mad. I'm going to be mad on Twitter weren't? about it forever. You were I wasn't. Why? I don't know why. I thought maybe time people would be like, hey, like, it's cooled out. And like, I have actually I, heard much less vitriol towards Mass Effect 3 than I was expecting, to be totally honest with you. It did come. I did finally figure out why I think people don't like it. And I tweeted it and I'll say it again. Mass Effect 3 is the Kobayashi Maru. All gamers think that they're James Tiberius Kirk, and they are not. So <laughs> you just have to deal with bad choices sometimes. And I've also been hearing a lot of people um, going, hey, maybe you guys should give Andromeda a chance because it's actually pretty good. And people being like, I've also you know what? That. As I'm playing Legendary Edition, it's making me want to go back to Andromeda. That game wasn't so bad. Like, I'm, I'm actually seeing people soften to Andromeda. And I think that Mass Effect, this is getting me so excited because any win for Bioware, I will fucking take. But I think that the Mass Effect public opinion is finally going back to, like, nostalgic joy overriding the like ending of mass effect three and i think it's reverbing on andromeda and andromeda is going to be one of those cult games that everyone's like man we should have let them make the dlc we shouldn't have been such dicks about it and uh, i'm really excited for that i i want to take a moment to say fuck bioware <laughs> as I, wow. I still remember dragon age uh, 4 i need it i just need bioware to last until dragon age 4 is out i need it I still remember, um, oh, fuck. I'm going to take a second to remember someone's name who I know personally, whose name is in my phone. I thought you were oh. talking about fuck Bioware, and then I was like, because of Thane? Because, yes, oh. fuck Bioware. Curry. 
Thank you. Thank you. Um, because I, I still say Floyd Bauer because I remember uh, after he left Bauer and Manvir Air, uh, quite outspokenly uh, spoke about how the struggles that he had as a senior designer on Mass Effect and how the team was often speaking about, hey, maybe this character, maybe this thing is happening is poor representation. Hey, maybe we should have more representation there, all these things. And they got stopped. They just got halted by that, by Bioware so often. And it was terrible work conditions that I'm still like, I liked Mass Effect still, but fuck Bioware. So I still want to bring that up every time Bioware gets any flowers. As you absolutely should. Yeah. Uh, Kaylee brought up Dragon Age. Uh, Bioware, don't be shy. Give me Dragon Age Origins and Dragon Age 2 <gasps> and, Inqu- and Inquisition and a Legendary Disney. Shut the fuck it's up. So no, good. So God. beautiful. Please just do Dragon Age the same way you did me. I would Give love Dragon that, Age that so one. much. Oh do my a director's God. cut of Dragon Age 2. A director's cut of Dragon Age 2. Oh, God. What was his name? Gusto? I, I, I just want Dragon Age 2. I like it. Please don't change it. I like that game. It's fine. I would have liked it if like the time jump made more sense. All the things that they were like, yeah, those were because of changes we had to make because of time constraints. I was like, yeah, they feel like it. It's not like complaints fine. It's not a bad game. I just you can see the little things that would have made it even better. Uh Real quick, I want to go back to Resident Evil 8 because I don't want to blue balls the audience. You mentioned uh, Donna Belvito, the doll lady, but mm-hmm. you didn't mention the tall lady. Tell us your opinions on the tall vampire lady. I don't know her name. Lady Alicia Dimitri? Demistru? I don't know how to say her name. I, that's why I call her the hot vampire lady every time I talk about her. Um, I like her character. She is not great she's a terrible person and she is just classist and does terrible things and yeah they did she's a she is one of the better resident evil villains that they have created yeah i guess my question is like whenever she's on screen do you feel fear in your heart like does she have a no, presence? I I'm not the one to ask that. My bisexual okay. thirst just makes me be like, please. It's too hot for that. Hot I, I feel like a lot of people are like me. that. Because you know they had Wesker, and Wesker wasn't hot. And Wesker was the big bad for a long time, but but Wesker was trying to be cool. But well, this person is just clearly like a very attractive, like evil big presence lover. Not gonna play that game probably. She embody. They take so many good like women centered horror tropes and wrap them up in her. It like it's just like awesome. Like, as a horror fan, you're just like, yeah, give me more of that. And I know you all want more of this podcast, but it's time for this week to end. So, Kaylee, the bingo bongo herself. No, you you gotta that? give me a new clue. You can't give me the same thing. I was working with consistency. consistency it's just copying. Okay, uh, Kaylee, zip zap. You said zip zap one week, a couple weeks before. I didn't put it in the sticky notes. Yeah, zip-zop. first off, I never do two. It's always three. First off. Oh my god, I only do three. Uh, if you're gonna quote me, do it correctly. <laughs> Kaylee, how can people find you on the internet? Um, by looking up my name, because I'm the only person that has ever existed with this first and last name in the history of the lifetime of humanity. It's a cold hard fact for you. 
But isn't that weird? It's kind of I sometimes when I think like one time I was eating mushrooms and I was thinking about that too hard. And then I just kind of lost all sense of identity and had to chant my social security number to like calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. If you liked that, you're really gonna like my Twitter, uh, which is Quirk of Art XD. Well, XD face, well, Quirk of Art XD, or you can, you can hear me make amazing <laughs> anecdotes like that. God, that's so real though. This is my second time on mushrooms, for the record. Um, I just Quirk of Art, twitch.tv slash Quirk of Art. That's exciting. The Fire Zyger himself. Where can people find you, Zygering? Uh, you can find me anywhere at on the internet at Zyger1337. You could have said you could find me Zygering anywhere on the internet at 1337. I thought you were going to for a second, and I got excited, and then you didn't. <laughs> Zygering's not a verb. I mean, yeah, it, it could be. It is yeah. now. We, I just watched it be a verb. Yeah, I mean, it's it's in the podcast. It's, it's actually Kaylee's decision whether or not this becomes a verb. If it's not a verb, why are you always Zygering? Hmm. And Spencer, what are you horroring this coming week? I am changing the day my podcast comes out. It comes out on Tuesdays now because <gasps> I record this on Sundays and I was recording it on Sundays, but that's a lot of talking for a little Spencer. So I record on Mondays now and come out on Tuesdays. Uh, this week is my very first deep dive. We're going to talk about why The Conjuring sucks. And then in Two oh. weeks, Kaylee would be on to talk to me about why Conjuring 3 sucks. I'm so stoked. I have so many emotions and thoughts. Does that mean Conjuring 2 is happening between those two episodes? Yes. There will okay. be a deep dive on Conjuring this week, a deep dive on Conjuring 2 next week. Is that correct? Yeah. Maybe it's three weeks Kaylee's on because then I think there's also one episode of like all the Conjuring verse, like the nun and the curse of oh, the The Conjuring 3 has to come out first. After the Conjuring yeah. 3 comes out, basically. So after the weekend after the Conjuring 3 comes out, then Kaylee will be on. We're going to dunk all over it because it's a bad movie and it's not even out. I can tell it's you. Good. Like it's probably a good movie, but it's a good movie that's doing bad things. I was about to, to say, people. it's not a good or bad movie. It's an immoral movie. At the end of the day, the problem is that it is an unethical movie. That's my problem with it. Shocking. Did you think the people who worked on this podcast were going to talk about unethical things in other media? It's true. And if you didn't know, my name is Jordan. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash versified. You can find things that I've made on twitter.com slash underscore we should talk. We should talk as of right now is 30% off on the PSN store. So you got a PlayStation 4 or a PlayStation 5? Buy We Should Talk for 30% off. First, we don't get a lot of Sony sales often because if you didn't know, getting sales on Sony, kind of a pain in the ass. Uh, put a lot of power in that. So if you if you buy We Should Talk now, it might encourage more sales on Sony platforms for indie games, just saying. And you can also go to my Twitter at twitter.com slash versified and go to my pin tweet. Last week, I was not on this podcast. Last week, I was not on this podcast because my dog was hit by a car. And the cost associated with helping Bingo out and getting him the surgery need was just a gut check to my finances. And the continued rehab and other needs of him is going to keep increasing. So there's a GoFundMe set up for my dog, Bingo. Um, and it really appreciate it if you can 
help with any weight that you can. This is going to do it for the week 14 patch rollout. Subscribe to future patches on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your other podcasts. Follow the weekly patch at the weekly patch on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, or join the QA process in our Discord server. Comments, questions, bug reports, send them to us at hello at the weekly patch.com. Links to all of these and full resource guides to how you can help Palestine can give us some patch notes below. Week 14 patch complete. total bully i'm just curious you know i wish it gave me more power (laughs) (laughs) the appropriate response